Sometimes you have plans to get a good night's rest and wake up and feel refreshed and refilled. And sometimes that happens physically. But it's a little different when it's emotional. Are you with me on that? And sometimes uh, we run to other things to have that cup filled. But we just sang a song that says, Lord, when my cup is empty, I got to come to you. You're the only one that can fill my cup. And you know what's so amazing is he fills it exactly to where it needs to be in such an abundant way that it fills it to the very brim. And that's our God. Our God is a loving God. Our God is a generous God. Our God is anxious to fill your cup every morning. He's anxious. He's waiting to have you say, I feel empty today. I don't know how many of you felt empty this week. You can raise your hand if you felt there was a moment in time, maybe an hour, maybe it was a day, maybe the whole week. You, you just felt empty. God is the one that supplies all of our needs and all of our wants. Now, today we're going to talk uh, uh, about the We Believe series a, a little, and, and it's about being rich towards God. And, and here's why. Greed entitlement, discontentment, materialism, uh, the love of money. I like this phrase, power-hungry, control-freak takers. <laughs> you have some of those in your life? Maybe you look in the mirror and you find that you're looking at one. Let me say that again, a power-hungry, control-freak taker. They're in the world because that's our flesh. That's our flesh. We naturally come by it. That to be power-hungry, control-freak takers. But in the Bible, in God's kingdom, over 161 times in the Old Testament alone, there are passages about how God isn't greedy, how he's not control-freak, and he's not a taker, but he's a giver. He is a giver. 61 times in the New Testament, there are passages that talk about how God's a giver. From, you know, the passages like the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do? I know I'm missing something. And Jesus looks into his heart and says, oh, I know you're idle. You got to get rid of money and follow me. Or how about the, the widow with the two mites? She's throwing in all she has. And other people are throwing in huge amounts of money. But Jesus says they're giving out of their abundance. She's given everything she has. And so the, the New Testament, the Old Testament, it talks about giving more than almost any other subject. In fact, I think it is more than any other subject. So today we're going to look at this parable that starts off pretty weirdly because there's a guy in the crowd and I guess his father has died. Okay, now this is the way it was in Jewish law. Now, who's the firstborn? Who's the firstborn in here? If you're a firstborn in your family, Mitch, Jonah, Stella, okay, Heather. Here's the good news. According to Jewish law, the firstborn got a double portion of the inheritance. So we're thinking that this guy we're going to meet is the younger brother, and he's got hands on hip, and he's saying, that's not fair. Can you say that? That's not fair. So you have your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to look at a parable Jesus is going to share. 
Luke chapter 12, we're going to pick it up at verse 13. And so Jesus is being drawn into this family conflict, this family argument, and he's not even going to address it because he knows that's not the real issue. The real issue is what we talked about earlier. Power-hungry, control-freak takers. People that are greedy, that, the covetous. That mean, covetous means you have something, I want it. You know, it's, it's, it's a step further than envy. It's like, no, I want that. So greed and covetousness are, are very close. Let's read it. Well, we're going to read the whole parable, then we're going to come back and kind of uh, pick it apart. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Now that, that, that's actually pretty common because people would go to Jewish rabbis to settle family disputes. But Jesus is like, no, I'm, I'm not here for that. And he said to them, take care and be on your guards against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So he's like, be, be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness, against all kinds of greed. Basically, the, the, the meaning in the original language, it, it means uh, have more, want more. It, it carries this idea of being jealous and envious of what other people have. Do you remember King Ahab? Not the best king. Actually, he was a wicked king. He has a neighbor and he looks out in, out of his castle or whatever he has, his palace, and he sees his garden and he sees his vineyard, but then he looks to the left or he looks to the right and he sees Naboth's. And he goes, man, I really want that. He has a nicer garden than me. Have you ever said that about somebody's car? Uh, house, kids, spouse. They have a nicer, and what, what did Jezebel do? She went and killed Naboth and said, Abe, Abraham, uh, Ahab, go get, your, go get your new garden. So it's this idea that we want someone else's stuff. But there's another kind of greed. It's rooted in a person's idea, and it's a wrong idea of fair share uh, or what they think they are entitled to. Uh, it's not that, they want what you have to take it away from you. They just want what you have like you do. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, this week, <laughs> three of my neighbors bought new trucks. 
$100,000 between the three of them. And, uh, you know, inside I'm like, I really want a new truck. I want a new truck. That's greed. Wanting what someone else has because I get my value from that. Praise be to God, we don't get our value from stuff, right? Amen. Amen. Otherwise, we'd be going out and buying Oreo cookies with the double stuff. Because our stuff is stuff, right? We want stuff. Now, people have confused making choices with responsibility with I'm entitled to that regardless of my poor choices. Are you with me on that? Active greed is a desire to want more and more and more, but passive greed is a desire to avoid putting in the work for what you want. You you know what? I want good grades, but I'm not willing to study. I want to raise, but I'm not willing to actually be a good worker. See, that's passive greed. Again, it comes back to this idea, I'm entitled to it. That's a form of greed that has overtaken our world. Just overtaken our world. Do you remember in the, in the children's story, The Little Red Hen? How many of you remember The Little Red Hen? Okay, those uh, a little older may uh, remember that. She goes to the cow and the pig and the horse and says, who will help me plant the wheat? Not I, not I, not I. And then who will help me harvest the wheat? Not I, not I, not I. Who will help me mill the wheat? Not I, not I. Who will help me bake the wheat into bread? Not I. And then she says, the little red hen, who will help me eat the bread? Oh, I will, I will. That's that passive entitlement that has creeped into our flesh and actually into our walk with Jesus, that somehow he owes us? Oh, man. He's given us everything. But when we start looking towards our flesh, oh, we're gonna, go, we're gonna end up in a very wrong place. It's, greed is an attitude and a philosophy that leads to a lust that opens other doors for other sin. Now, let's go back to the text and let's pick up verses 13 through 15. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. And here's the teaching. This is the fill in the blank. Here's the first fill in the blank. One's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Take a moment, write that down. If you don't have anything to write down or underline it in your Bible. Our life does not consist in our possessions. Do you you think heaven is going to be defined by the stuff we'll have there? Do you know how little God thinks of gold? He uses it as pavement in heaven. Do you ever think of that? We think about it the other way. Wow, it's going to be so rich because the pavement is made of gold. That's how little God thinks of gold. Because Jesus always describes eternal life in relationship terms. This is eternal life that you know the Son. And so our richest possessions are our relationships. That's what should be defining, not, not the abundance of our possessions. And do you notice, go to verse 16 for a moment. 
16 says, the land of a rich man, so stop right there. He's already rich. He's just getting a bumper crop this year. It's not like, hey, I'm, I'm about to make it to the top of the heap. I'm about to, to fund my company. I'm about to fund my retirement. I'm about to. No, he's already got all that. He's rich. And it says this, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Who did the producing? The land, which really is God. God is the one that produces wealth. He's the one that gives us our blessings. That's the next fill in the blank. God is the source of all our joy, all of our blessings, all of all our wealth. David wanted to build a temple for God. He really wanted to, but God said, no, we're going to leave that to Solomon for various reasons. But David said, God, can I, can I at least, can I at least start gathering up everything that's needed to make this incredible temple? And God said, yeah, you can, you can rally the people and have them uh, share with them what we're doing and, and that'd be fine. And so the people gave in such abundance and it's going to be up on your screen. This is, this is what David says, both riches and honor come from you and you, talk about God, you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Folks, we got to remember that we are blessed because of our relationship with God and nothing else. Amen. Nothing else. And then in Deuteronomy, he, God warns uh, through Moses' preaching, he says, the next slide says, beware. Lest you say in your heart, my power, my land, my ingenuity, my smarts, by my power and might of my hand has, have gotten me this wealth. And he says, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to his fathers as this day. So we're going to talk about a biblical concept called tithing. A tithing means ten. And it predates Moses. Abraham gave a tenth to the priest of Melchizedek. Jacob, when he was going into a foreign land and he didn't know what he was going to find, he said, God, I'm going to give you a tenth of everything I make. It's interesting that, that he actually says it in that way. He says, I'm going to give you everything. that All of that you give me, I will give you a full tenth. Now, why is this so interesting? Because in Jewish numerology, 10 means complete. It means completeness. So when you give God 10, a 10th, it actually is representing everything he's given you. Did you know that? that that's the reason why. A 10th is meaning the whole thing. So when we give back to God a 10th, what we're saying is you actually own it all, God. We're, we're divesting ourselves of, of saying, oh, well, you get 10 and I get 90. That's not what the whole tithe. See, our Western minds, we, 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 we want to say, well, that's God's and this is mine. Instead of saying, no, this is all yours, God. And to show you that, I'm going to give you a 10th. That's, that's the purpose. And so giving a tithe was a heart issue because you can give with no love and it's worthless. 
Are you with me on that? But if you love, you're going to give. That's just the way it works. That's the way it works. Giving a tithe then is a heart issue. It's a trust issue. And it still is a step of faith. Uh, I like this. I trust what's in God's hand, not what is in my hand. Do you catch that? I trust what's in God's hand and not what's in my hand. Proverbs, next slide says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Man, it, what a step of faith. Now let's just pretend you're a farmer or maybe you have a vineyard and you don't have crop insurance and you have the first day of harvest, and that's pretty good. And you're like, all right, this crop's going to be good. No, nothing wrong with being excited about that, right? But do you harvest everything and then give God? Or do you say, you know, God, I'm going to give you the first, even though the rest of it's still in the field, and it may catch on fire, it may hail and destroy it, but I trust you enough, God, that I'm going to give first to you and then I will take what is coming behind. That is honoring the Lord with your first fruits. Malachi, I'll read the whole thing and it's up on your uh, screen, but, but it, I have a little more of the context. It says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, but you say, how have we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and contributions, you are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and therefore, or thereby, put me to the test. This is the only place in Scripture that God says, test me, test me in this. And see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. And I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And then all nations will say, wow, you got an awesome God who's blessing you. Awesome God. So sometimes you have to ask, are your finances leaking? You got a hole in your bucket? How many of you ever had a hole in your bucket? Yeah, finances are leaking. They're leaking and leaking. And... Again, are you trusting in what's in your hand or what's trust, are you trusting what's already in God's hand? Give to God and he's going to give it back to you. And so that's how we close, close those leaky finances. Now, fear actually is the number one reason probably. This is, I didn't do a survey. I didn't go around to ask people, hey, what's your number one reason for not actually giving to the Lord? But it's probably fear. They see the bills and they're like, I got to do this instead of seeing God, the one who is the source of all blessings. Are you with me on that? And so fear, but again, of not having your needs met, you're then starting to trust what's already in your hands and not what God has in his hands. The issue wasn't that the rich fool was rich, okay? Wealth isn't wrong. It was his trust in money. It was his arrogance in himself. Now let's go back to the text and pick it up at verse 17. And he's going to think to himself, and he thought to himself, what shall I do? 
for I have nowhere to store my crops. He came up with a financial plan. He says, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build bigger portfolios, bigger barns, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Here's the next fill in the blank. Greediness, that's the world's way. That's not kingdom living. That's the world's way. Ecclesiastes says this, he who loves money will not, will not even be satisfied with more money. Who, who was the famous rich guy that said, oh, I just need one more dollar and I'll be happy? Who was it? Rockefeller. Rockefeller. Just one more dollar and I'll be happy. Guess what? Never going to be happy. And that's what the, the preacher says in Ecclesiastes. It's all vanity. He who loves wealth and loves his income will not be satisfied. You can't ever make enough. I love the story that Tammy's mom grew up, uh, well, raised the, uh, Tammy and, and the kids in Missouri, okay? And uh, Tammy's mom always talked about, oh, one day I want to live in a, in a mansion, a $100,000 house. She wanted to live in a $100,000 house. And then they moved to California and they bought a little shack and it was like 170. And her, boom, popped, didn't it? Yeah, guess what? You never have enough. Always, if, if greed is, is, is the way you're walking. Now, go, if you were to go back to the text and you, and you saw, I, my, my, I, my, mine, you're going to find out he says that 11 times. 11 times. Somewhere I read that he was more full of himself than his barns. <laughs> See, a greedy person is the kind of person that doesn't want to share. Did you catch that? A greedy person is the kind of person that doesn't want to share. Like I said, the man was already rich before the crop came in. He could have given everything away and he still would have been extremely rich. Greedy, entitled, covetous, power-hungry, control-freak takers think about themselves. And everything goes through that filter. Their fist is closed. So guess what? Nothing comes in. And guess what? God can't put anything else in. Can he? When your fist is closed because you're thinking this is all there is and I better hang on to it, then we say we're not trusting God. God says open your hands because the next part is going to be talking about, man, we're, we're to be generous. Look, look at verses 20 and 21. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Jesus said, and there's a slide, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all those other things that the, the pagans and the flesh runs after. I've got this. God says that time and time and time again. Trust me, I'll take care of you. Second Corinthians, it says this. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has, ah, here it is, decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves what? A cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you 
so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. He's going to bless you and you are to use that to be generous with other people. Now, when we talk, we're talking about money, but we're talking about time. We're talking about talents. We are the body of Christ. We are to be different than the world. We are to be the most generous people there are. But if we are hanging on to this part of our flesh that says, I don't trust God and I'm in this by myself, I'm gonna hang on to everything. I'm gonna be stingy with my time, my talent, and my treasure. And God says, whoa, 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 let's start somewhere. And you start trusting me. And you decide what the Spirit has told you to give. Now, I know a lot of people who have funded this church, they give, wow, a lot more than a tithe because they see, man, the more I give away, the more I get blessed. The more I give, the more they get blessed. They understand all of that. It's, it's kind of like you have an ice cream scoop, right? And, and you better get a big scoop if you want a big scoop of ice cream. But if you're going to give God a little scoop and then be surprised that the scoop he gives back to you is little, don't be surprised. Use that big scoop. Be like your father who is in heaven, who gave his only son, his only son. God is the first and foremost, most generous giver there is. And we are to be like him because we're a part of his kingdom now, aren't we? And so we can be legalistic and we can say, oh, you got to give 10. Wait, let's forget about the 10. Even though in the Old Testament and Abraham, yes, it was significant because it meant everything. But let's get to the point where we just give them everything. Right? Why do we have to limit it to 10? Why don't we just say, God, you have everything that I own. My car, my home, my, my bank account. If see a need, meet a need. Wow, that's an original concept that was developed by the Christians. Have you ever heard that phrase, Sandman? See a need, meet a need. That's what Christians do. And they don't say, well, let me check. I don't know. Uh, well, I've already given up to my limit, so uh, you just go warm, be warm and be fed. Wait, we're to be generous. You know, the prosperity gospel, you've heard that term before. Um, I get to give, but it's a backdoor to the flesh because that means I get to get. And if you're giving only to get, you've missed the whole point. Yeah. We give because our Father is a giver. Mm -hmm. Jesus gave his life. He gives us everything. Mm -hmm. Who did not withhold his own son? What will he withhold from us? The text says. Now, it, here's the real gospel. I get, so I get to give. Are you with me? That prosperity says I give to get. No, we have to flip that around. I get so I can give. Now, in the rest of this Corinthians passage, Heather, if you'll throw that up, it's 2 Corinthians 9 and 10. There it is. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Not your portfolio. He said, your righteousness is going to increase. Yes, God blesses us. Amen? Amen. Man, he, he blesses us. But I tell you what, he blesses us in so many better ways than cheap pavement. He says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way 
which through us will produce thanksgiving to who? No, to God. See, it's always about God. It's about giving our lives to Him. We're to be like our Heavenly Father, generous, contentful, thankful givers. Again, 61 passages in the New Testament alone. Here's another one. Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. receive. Do we believe that? Well, if we're hanging on, we don't believe what his words are saying. But if we believe, we're like, yeah, let us let me be. Now, when I was younger, I was, now I, I've all, Tammy, have I been frugal? Yes. <laughs> Did you hear that? Say it again. Yes. Yes, I've been frugal. And God is working on me to be more and more generous because it's so deep-seated in our society. We can justify it, can't we? I'm not rich. How many of you think I'm not rich? Seriously, raise your hand if you say, I am not rich. Okay, compared to who? Your neighbor or the guy in India that's using a bucket to wash? Seriously. I've, I've had a chance to go to India and you see people that are bathing on the side of the street. They don't have a stall. They don't have anything. And they've got a bucket. And they've got a dirty rag. And they're dumping the water on them. And they, I don't think any, I would imagine most Indians in India have, have never had a hot shower. And so when you say to yourself and justify hanging on to what you have because you're not rich, that is wrong. You are richer than most people in this world. Now, I'm not going to say, okay, now I'm, uh, so I'm just going to sell everything and I'm going to give everything away and I'm going to go live in the street so the church can take care of me. No. But boy, I have to have a heart change that I need to be like my father. I need to be generous. And we can be generous lots of things with ATVs or motor skills or whatever. But it's this attitude that is kingdom living. And I don't know, did, did we get to that point yet? Did, did, was, have we got to that fill in the blank of the kingdom living? Throw that kingdom living up. I think I was supposed to throw that up somewhere. Generosity, the, king, the king's way, the kingdom's way. That's that last fill in the blank. Boy, we gotta be generous. We gotta be generous. First Timothy says it this way. As for the rich in this present age, and I'm glad that there was Joseph of Arimathea who took care of Jesus' body. I'm glad that there were wealthy women that followed Jesus around and paid for his meals and paid for his lodging and did the things that needed. I'm glad that the church in Macedonia was so poor, they were stricken with poverty, and yet they were out giving the Corinthian church that had all this money. That would be like uh, a church in Juarez that has 40 people outgiving us by three or four or five fold. That's what Macedonia was doing to the Corinthians. The Corinthians were rich and yet they weren't given anything. And the Macedonians were poor, poor, poor. And yet they were outgiving to feed the saints that were starving because of persecution in Jerusalem. Wow. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The wrong question is, is do I have to give? That, that's a legalistic question. It's very self-focused. Do I have to give? Maybe a better question is, is do I want to get blessed? Well, yeah. Well, that's still kind of a selfish question. How about, do I want to trust God more? That's a better question. Or maybe the, the best one is, is, do I want to be like Jesus? That's, that's probably the best question. I trust what's in God's hand and not what's in my hand. We believe that we should be rich towards God. And our life does not consist of our possessions, but in our walk with God. Let me say that again. Our life does not consist of our possessions, but our, our very walk with God. Mm-hmm. And giving is a, is a spiritual discipline. You may think it's a, uh, it's a physical. It is a spirit. Giving is such a spiritual discipline because money is so powerful. And that's why it appeals to our flesh. And that's why we have to say, hmm, God money. And we have to say, no, I trust what God has in his hands more than I trust what's in my hands. We have to give because he first gave. Let me pray. Father God, whoo, thank you for the chance and the opportunity and the joy of partnering with you. That is so amazing that you have not called us to be a bump in the log, but you have actively blessing us to be engaged in your kingdom work. I thank you that we are generous givers and we want to become more generous givers and forgive us when we have trusted that which is in our hands more than that which is in your hands. Lord, we love you. We thank, we can't even begin to to pay you back. Not that you have asked us, but boy, you have asked us to love other people that are hurting. Father, open our eyes to see our real world, to see those that are struggling and hurting, those that need our time, our talent, our treasure, so that they can give praise and glory to you, Father, and that you, you would just pour back into our laps, not that is the reason, but just so that we can go out and do it again. We love you. We thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.